listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. This, this controversy about Jesus. Uh, if you're not aware of this, I'm going to uh, explain it to you today on the broadcast. But I also want to give you the biblical answers that you need to uh, answer this controversy about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and it's a very important topic that if you don't understand the controversy, you need to understand it and have the answers. So that's what I wanted to give you today so that you don't have to go searching for yourself. It's good to study them for yourself, and I'll give you the places to study. But if you didn't know anything about this, this broadcast is going to help you today. And I'm going to give you all the biblical, scriptural ammunition that you need in order to answer this controversy. Um, and if you didn't know, this is, this is like a very long-standing um, controversy. It's a long-standing controversy, um, and it still exists today in... Uh, churches, some denominations it exists, and uh, it needs to be addressed because it does matter. (laughs) It matters a lot. Um, It matters what you believe about Jesus. And so um, there are Christians who have fallen for and believe this controversy about Jesus. I'm not sure if you believe this, if you can truly call yourself a Christian, and you'll see why in just a minute. I'm not sure if you believe the controversy if you can call yourself a Christian and you'll understand why when we get started. And, um, and I want to give you, uh, the scriptures. I want to give you the ammunition that you need to properly, um, answer this question. And so let me, let me break this down, uh, because this has existed for years, but, uh, churches today, I just talked to a preacher not long ago, um, who was, he's an evangelist and he went to one of these churches and they grilled him on this subject before he, uh, before the service even started the Sunday that he was scheduled to preach at the church. And, um, the question that they asked, uh, they, they pulled him aside and said to him, now tell me, you know, all the, all the, the deacons, the elders, the pastor, you know, all had him aside. They said, now tell me, is Jesus God? This was their question. Now, this is a Pentecostal denomination, supposedly. Pentecostal denomination. And they said, now tell me, is Jesus God? And the the answer they wanted from him was no. Jesus is not God. He's the son of God. But there's only one God in heaven, and that's God the Father. Jesus, in their opinion, what they wanted to hear from this preacher before he preached in their church was, is Jesus God? And they wanted to hear him say, no, he's the son of God. So they could be comfortable with him uh, preaching in their church. So if you study this, even historically, you'll find out this is a controversy that has existed for a long time, for a long time. And you need to be able to answer this. The reason I said, I'm not sure if people are truly Christians, um, if, if that's the case, is because if you don't believe that Jesus Christ 
was God in the flesh, then could you really uh, believe that the act of redemption meant made any difference whatsoever? Morning, Brent. Does the act of redemption mean anything if Jesus is not God in the flesh? And so um, I'm going to give you ammunition. I'm going to give you scripture today to show you this because you need to be solid on this. This is a doctrine of the church. This is a very important core fundamental doctrine of the church. Hey, AJ, that's exactly right. A lot of Muslims use this as well, because again, Jews, Muslims, and Christians all bring their roots back to Abraham. And so uh, they all have that. There's one God. um, And we don't deny that there's one God. It's just that we believe in a Trinity, but I'm not dealing with the Trinity today. I want to deal with Jesus Christ in particular and his deity or the, this is the doctrine of the deity of Christ. The fact that Christ was God in the flesh. And this is huge. This is huge. You need to be able to know what you believe on this. And if you are ever questioned, you know, you need to know what you, what the Bible says about it. And I'm going to give you tons of scripture to help you know, and, and write these down, put these in your Bible, mark them on the side. Um, you know, even if you're flipping through your Bible and you highlight one of these that I give you, it might be good to write, you know, put a star in the margin and write, you know, deity of Christ, uh, so that you know that those scriptures are dealing with the fact that Christ was God in the flesh. And so we're going to deal with it today. Um, but the first one that I wanted to just give you, because there's go with me to John chapter one. And as you guys know, this is one of my favorite passages in the new Testament, uh, John one, We're going to read John 1, 1. Where did my other Bible go? There it is. I want to show you something because I've been talking to you about how powerful uh, the New English translation is with the full notes edition. I'm actually going to read you one of those notes today uh, that's going to help you a lot. John chapter 1 and verse 1 is where we're going to start. And it's, this is one of the most powerful verses of scripture in all of the New Testament, without question. John 1.1 is uh, the beginning of John's introduction to his theology about who Jesus is. And that's what, that's what you'll see here. I'm gonna read it to you from the ESV, and then I'm gonna read you some of these notes so that you can understand this. So, so powerful. Um, and by the way, John 1.1 is broken down into three sections. I'm gonna help you with that. Watch this now. Three sections of one verse. Here's the first section in the beginning was the word. Now, if you read the whole first chapter of John, you'll understand that when John says the word, he's referring to Jesus Christ. He's referring to Jesus Christ because later in the 14th verse, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. That's Jesus he's talking about. And you can see it. Uh, as you read the whole chapter, but let me bring this to your attention here from the beginning. In the beginning was the word. That's the first section of John 1, 1, what we'll call section A. In the beginning was the word. So the first thing we have to see about this is Jesus had no origin point. Please put that in the comments. Jesus had no origin point, meaning Jesus is not a created being. That's very important. Jesus is not a created being like angels and humans and Satan, 
you know, not a created being. Jesus had no origin point. That's why, and by the way, uh, this is John taking the verbiage back to Genesis 1-1, right? It, anybody that was reading the Greek, and, and in this time, everybody that was reading the Old Testament, a lot of them would have been reading the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And that same phrase, in the beginning, which in the Greek is NRK, NRK, in the beginning, that's how Genesis 1-1 starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the same beginning that John is referencing. In the beginning was the word. He existed from the beginning, right? So John's letting us know as he breaks down his theology about Jesus that Jesus had no origin point. He's not a created being. He existed at the beginning with God, right? So let's go to part uh, B of the first verse. Part A, in the beginning was the word. Part B, and the word was with God. So that's the second part of the verse. And the word was with God. So that means in relationship to, they were there together. There together at the very beginning. Um, Let me read you this. um, Let me read you this note here. The the preposition with implies not just proximity, but intimate personal relationship with God. And the word was with God. He wasn't just in proximity. He was in close personal relationship. See that regularly employed in, in expressing presence of one person with another. And it gives us a bunch of different scriptures where that is used when it's saying, and he was with him and she was with her in the scripture, meaning he was there in the same place with him, but two separate beings. So Jesus existed from the beginning with or next to God, who is the father. And then we go into part uh, C of this verse. And this is extremely important for this this thought we're, we're doing today. The Bible says, A, in the beginning was the word, B, and the word was with God, and C, and the word was God. This, when I saw this, one of the most important and powerful thoughts in all of the New Testament as we look at this, and the word was God, and the word was God. Something that I'll show you here, um, this is, uh, this is something in the Greek here. It could also be rendered, textual note, and what God was, the word was. And what God means the same substance, the same nature, and what God was, the word was. There's a, um, there's a, a quote from um, Martin Luther that I wanted to uh, read to you that's so awesome regarding what God was, the word was, um, Martin Luther says that, uh, two heresies were destroyed with one verse of scripture. Two heresies were destroyed with one verse of scripture. What were the two heresies? Well, the two heresies were the heresy that there's no Trinity because this verse perfectly proves and shows that there is a Trinity, that there is multiple members of the Godhead, but also that Jesus was just a man. That was another heresy. Jesus was just another man like any other prophet. He was a good man. He was a prophet, you know, but he was not God. This verse proves differently. And so those two heresies are destroyed with one verse of scripture. 
and the word was God. And then of course, you know, later as we're coming down through that, uh, as I said, what God was, the word was. And, um, if you haven't, if you haven't jumped on to check out how we study the Bible, how we go verse by verse, how we go through word studies, go to bible.miracleword.com, sign up for the wait list to get on when the fall course opens, because I'm telling you, we'll teach you these things. It will make your Bible study go to another level. It'll go to another level. And so I want to go, go through these verses with you. So John 1, 1 is saying that God is the word and that Jesus is what God is. There's no separation. There is no difference. Um, but let me show you this. Go with me um, to John chapter 20. We're still in the gospel of John. John chapter 20 and verse 28. Here is where all of you remember doubting Thomas, right? Remember doubting Thomas? I'll not believe. I'll not, I'll, I'll, uh, that's right. That's right, TJ. He said, I'll not believe that Jesus is alive until I can put my, you know, fingers in the nail scars in his hands until I can, I can feel and see him. Okay. He said, I, I won't believe it. So Jesus shows himself to Thomas, shows himself to Thomas. And uh, look at this. And this is what Thomas said in John 20 and verse 25. We've seen the Lord, they said. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. I'll never believe. But then Jesus shows himself to Thomas and look at this. And Thomas replies and answers him, my Lord and my God. Thomas refers to Jesus, not just as his Lord, kudios, but his God. You are my God. Thomas and the disciples looked at Jesus, not as just another man, not just as a prophet, not just as a teacher. They looked at him and knew that he was God in the flesh, my Lord and my God. You see that? That's, uh, if you're taking notes, that's John 20 and verse 28, John 20, 28, my Lord and my God. Thomas knew who he was. My God is standing before me in a flesh body. Hallelujah. My Lord and my God. Let me give you another one that'll really stir your, stir your spirit up. Titus chapter two. I was going through Titus yesterday and, or excuse me, two days ago, went through Titus, just a, kind of a deep study. But Paul writes this to Titus and this, this will help you. Um, let me read you Titus two verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Look at this, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing, look at this, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Both of those. Now, anybody that would want to argue this would say, well, you know, he's referring to two different individuals, God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. No, 
if you look in the, into the Greek, you'll see that both of these names, or the, both of these, yeah, I would say um, descriptions refer to the one person, God, Jesus Christ, Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only that, there's nowhere in scripture that teaches that God the Father is going to return and appear to the church or come and, and, and he's coming again. It's not going to be God the Father. The Bible is very clear. It will be Jesus Christ who comes back and returns and appears to the church, comes back and uh, deals out judgment. It's not God the Father. It's Jesus Christ himself. Bible's clear on that. And notice Paul says to Titus that we're waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, denying Jesus as God is denying his deity. That is exactly right, Dominico says. Is that the same? Yes, it is. If you deny that Jesus is God, then you're denying the deity of Christ. Because that's what that word deity means. That he's a deity. He is the deity. They're not separated. They are one Godhead with multiple members. And here it is, waiting for the our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's one that I don't know how anybody misses. I don't know how they miss this. Go with me to uh, the book of Colossians chapter two, and I hope you're marking these down. These are uh, bulletproof. These are bulletproof uh, evidences in the scripture of the deity of Christ, which you have to have solid in your spirit. There's no Muslim that's gonna walk up and talk me out of the fact that Jesus is God. And there's no, uh, and I understand, you know, we have Jewish friends, but they don't believe that Jesus was God. They don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah but you'll not be able to convince me. Let me tell you, if you want to watch something that'll make you cry, go on YouTube and watch um, Dr. John MacArthur sit down with Ben Shapiro, who is a, who's an active practicing Jew on his show, on Ben Shapiro's show, and explain, he explains Isaiah 53 to Ben Shapiro. You, only, you almost never hear Ben Shapiro quiet. Let me tell you, he was quiet that day. And I'm not even like a John MacArthur fan in that way. I know he doesn't teach the same things we teach and doesn't believe what we believe. But when I watched that, I cried to see the power of uh, seeing the Messiah in, in Isaiah 53. And then explains to Ben Shapiro, there's no one else it could be talking about except Jesus Christ. You need to watch that if you've never seen it. Uh, ben Shapiro's show, John MacArthur explains Isaiah 53. Powerful. But look with me at Colossians chapter 2. Look at verse nine. Actually, I'll read you verses um, six through nine. You ready for this? Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, watch this, verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. How do you get around that? I mean, how do you get around that verse of scripture? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about for Jews or, you know, or Muslim. They don't believe that the New Testament is, is God's word. But understand, as a Christian, 
who would deny that Christ was God. How do you get around that verse? Colossians 2, 9. Let me read it again. Uh, According to Christ, verse 9, for in him, that's Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. How, How can you look at that verse and say, well, no, he's not God. No, no. All of deity dwells in his body. All deity, the fullness, you see that? The fullness of deity dwells in his body. That's powerful. Let's go back to where they were ready to kill Jesus for this very thing. Do you know what people will say? Let me show you something that makes me laugh. There's people that will actually claim and be like, well, you know, that's a Christian teaching that came later on. Jesus himself never claimed to be God. You know, people actually say that. That's, that's a man-made doctrine about Jesus. Because if you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, Jesus never claimed to be God. You know, J- Jesus said he spoke on behalf of God, but he, he never himself claimed to be God. Oh, really? Well, let's look at it. John chapter 10. Let's go to John chapter 10. Hmm. If we're going to claim... Jesus never claimed to be God, then what were they, what were they mad about? Why did they want to arrest him? Why did they pick up stones to stone him? Right? Look at John chapter 10 and verse, um, let's start with verse, uh, 28, John 10, 28. Look at this red letters. Jesus is speaking. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Look at verse 30 for those that say he never claimed to be God. I and the father are one. I and the Father are one. That's one and the same. One, and and listen, and, and look, when he said that, when he said that, look at their response, verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. The moment he claimed, I and the Father are one, then the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And he said, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. So you can't even argue in this passage that the Jews didn't understand that he was claiming to be God or say, well, that's not what he meant. You know, that's not what he meant when he said, I and the father are one. He didn't mean that he was God. No, that's what he meant. And he meant it and said it so clearly that even the Jews understood that that's what he was saying. Oh, you're you're making yourself to be God? We're going to kill you. That's blasphemy. Because they rejected his character, nature, and his identity. They didn't believe he was God. They didn't believe it. But Jesus claimed it very clearly to the point that they were ready to murder him for that blasphemy. They considered it blasphemy because they didn't believe. But he was making a very clear point. No, I and the father are one and the same. We're one and the same. They said, we're going to stone you because you being a man, make yourself God. And look at Jesus answer. Now we'll go to the next one. 
Verse 34, and Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I'm said, I'm the son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then don't believe me. Now, verse 38 is a very important one. Mark this one down, 1038. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I'm in the father. Again, going back to that one and the same, we are one and the same. I'm in him and he's in me. I'm in him and he's in me. If you don't believe me, you know what he was saying? My miraculous works are the proof that I'm in him and he's in me. My miraculous works are the proof that I am one with him. I and the father are one and the same. Amen. Do you realize that's the power of, I've been teaching you Pauline revelation. That's why it's so powerful to understand that you are in Christ because you're not separated from Jesus. You're in his body. I've done my best to teach that deeply on this broadcast that, you know, my hands aren't a different person than me. My arms aren't a different identity than me. My legs, my feet, my hair that's gone, my, my skin, it's all me. It's all Ted. And in the same way, Ephesians one says that, uh, Christ, God gave Christ to be head over all things to the body, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So the church is his body. It's not separated from him. It's in him. It is him. The church is Christ in the same way. Christ said, I am God. I'm in him. He's in me. We are one. That's how we say we are one with Christ, united with Christ in baptism. That's what the Bible's talking about. We are in him. We are him. He said that I'm in the father and the father's in me. Hmm. Glory to God. Now let me take you to Hebrews one. This will blow your mind. Here's, I love this one. I quote this in my services all the time when I'm preaching. I love Love this passage of scripture. I love all of scripture, but uh, you know, there's parts that really get me excited. This is one of them. Hebrews chapter one. And of course, if you know and understand the book of Hebrews, uh, it talks about Jesus being our high priest, how he is uh, superior to angels. He's superior to everyone. And the priesthood is changed as you understand. Uh, now catch this. We're in Hebrews chapter one and, um, Let's, let's start with verse six, Hebrews one, six, we'll read through verse nine. Look at this. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him of the angels. He says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now look at verses eight and nine. This is mind blowing stuff for this, this, this thought process, but of the son, he says, now this is, this is what the, the word of God, the, the, out of the mouth of God, this describes Jesus, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness or righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. 
you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above or beyond your companions. You see what he says of the son, your throne, O God, refers to Jesus as, O God, O God, your throne is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. See that it's not referring to Jesus merely as a creation, a secondary being, just some son that was produced later on. No, no, no. Your throne, O God. Same thing that uh, Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. The same thing that Paul said to Titus about Jesus, waiting for the return of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The apostles recognized him as God. God recognized him as God. Jesus claimed to be God, right? These are a very, very vital uh, very, very vital scriptures. Let me, give, let me give you another one. This, this is another one that I preach often. Uh, Gospel of John chapter eight. Again, I'm giving you these because this is a fundamental and important doctrine of the Christian church. You have to understand why we believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's not just a man. He's not just a prophet, Right? You can go back and read the old classic book um, that was uh, in regards to the deity of Christ and, and really Christian apologetics, um, A Case for Christ. And I think they later made it into a movie, but the book, A Case for Christ. And in that book, there's a phrase that he came up with. And if you've, if you've read it or if you've seen the movie, you've probably heard this phrase before, even if you haven't. But it's a very interesting quote. The phrase is Jesus was either, he was one of three things. He was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. He had to be one of the three. He was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. Put that in the, in the comments because this will help you. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. He had to be one of the three. Had to be. He had to be, um, because first of all, he claimed, as I said, and shown you, showed you, he claimed to be God. He claimed to be one with the father. So he was either lying to the people or he was crazy and thought he was God, but he really wasn't God. Right? So that's the second option. He, he either knew he wasn't. And when he claimed to be, he was lying to them or he was a crazy person and claimed to be, maybe even thought he was, but just was crazy and claimed to be God, but he was just crazy. Or the third option is he had to be the Lord. He had to be the Lord. He had to be the Lord. Now, there are some people that disagree with this and say, well, there's, there's one other option that no one mentions, and that's that he was confused and mistakenly thought that he was God. Well, it doesn't matter. If, even if he mistakenly thought he was God, that would put him into the liar category because he was claiming to be God. So whether he believed it or not, if he said something that was untrue, he was a liar. So there's not an extra category for mistakenly thought that he was God, but he wasn't. No, he either was telling the truth or he was telling a lie. So there's not another category. These are the only three there is. He was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. 
right? And there is a differentiation between being crazy. You know, he was not in his right mind, so he can't be lying if he's not in his right mind. That's why even in court, they, they, there's, there's uh, something that they'll uh, do for somebody that's, you know, not in their right mind. They don't prosecute them the same way that they'd prosecute somebody that was premeditated and actually was in, in the right state of mind. You know, they can claim insanity, right? If you're in a courtroom, they can claim insanity. And if actually uh, you go read the book, it's done in, in a very much in a, in a, uh, a legal um, investigation type of way, but people claim insanity. Well, people are trying to claim insanity on Jesus. He's just crazy. He doesn't know what he's saying. No. And he wasn't a liar and he wasn't a, a lunatic. He was the Lord. And he says that to the Jews, even if you don't believe what I'm saying to you, at least believe the works that I'm doing. Don't you see the miracles? Don't you see the dead being raised? Don't you see the lepers being cleansed? Don't you see the blind eyes coming open? Don't you see the deaf ears? Don't you see? The miracles are the proof that I'm not a liar, that I'm not a lunatic. I'm the Lord. I am the Lord. Let me give you another one. This is, this is one of my favorites. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And verse number... Um, 58 is where I want to take you. John chapter eight and verse 58. This will help you immensely. This actually, well, I'll give you this and I'll give you another one. These are, these are my favorites. John chapter eight. And actually let's start reading. Um, let's start reading actually with 48. And we'll go all the way down to 58. I love this passage. Verse 48, John 8, 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he's the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, look at 54. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God, but you've not known him. I know him. If I were, if, if I were to say that you, I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Now watch this right here. This, this is mind blowing. Verse 58 and Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Get, get that. He didn't, he didn't say that this is a, there's a really important thing that I want you to see here. Uh, and it's, it's found throughout the new Testament and found in the old Testament Septuagint. Before Abraham, 
He didn't say before Abraham was, I was, you see, he didn't say before Abraham was, I was, what did he say? Before Abraham was, I am, I am. That's why they picked up stones to stone him, knowing what he was saying. He was calling himself the great I am. They knew very well the story of, of Moses and uh, Aaron. They knew very well the story of the Exodus from Egypt. They knew their histories. They knew the uh, Torah. They knew all these things very, very well. So they understood exactly the reference that Jesus was making. They knew exactly because Moses stood in front of a burning bush and said, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? Who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? And the voice from the burning bush, which I believe was Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He said, you go tell Pharaoh, I am that I am has sent you. Go tell Pharaoh, I am that I am. That was the word of God in that bush. That's what was on fire. The word of God was in that bush. That's Christ. He said, you go tell him, I am that I am has sent you. Jesus says the same thing here. Before Abraham was, I am. I am. Let's, let's, let's go to the end of God, the gospel of John. If you want to get ready to actually run around your house and shout. Let me, let me show you something that'll stir your faith up. I love this. In John 18, this, this same thing is getting ready to happen and you see the power of it. Jesus, of course, is where he's praying in the garden. You know the story. He's praying in the garden before his arrest, before they present him to Pilate, before his crucifixion. He's praying in the garden. And a band of soldiers show up in the garden to arrest Jesus. Look at verse four. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. No, wrong guy. Jesus said to them, I am. Glory to God. Glory to God. This, this phrase, and I, and I know we're not going deep on Greek or anything, but this phrase, ego eimi, is one of the most powerful phrases. We see it here. We see it back where we just read in the eighth chapter. We see it in the Septuagint back in Exodus. We see this phrase over and over. This is the phrase of who God is. I am. I am. And Jesus said it again. And there was... You know, you look at these new, uh, newer translations, like I'm in the ESV looking at others, they will actually say, I am he. If you look at another translation, uh, you'll see that the he was added for context. I am he, but that's not what the Greek says. The Greek does not say I am he. The Greek manuscripts all say I am just like, uh, he said in John eight, just like it's said in the book of Exodus, all these different places. I am. And that's exactly what Jesus said here in the garden. He said, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. You know, like, let me reintroduce myself. I am. And when he said it, when he said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. They drew back and fell to the ground. There was so much power in him declaring that I am, 
before Abraham was, I am. Tell Pharaoh, I am that I am has sent you. Well, there was so much power in that confession, it knocked every soldier back on his back. The power of the revelation of the character, nature, and identity of God in the flesh. Why do you think demons trembled? Why do you think a legion of demons ran down a mountain to bow low before him and beg him, please don't harass us, don't torment us before our time? You know why? Because they understood that who was standing there in the flesh, what was inside had the power to torment them and to harass them before their time. That's why they begged. They begged because they could feel the power of the I am the moment he got off the uh, boat and stepped onto the shore. And the Bible says the demons and the man seeing him from afar off ran to meet him and to bow down low before him and to beg him, please don't torment us. And the Bible describes them as the most powerful uh, spiritual force in that region. Could not be bound with chains, very violent, kicked out of every town in that area because they couldn't constrain him. So they made him live among the grave, the graveyards and the tombstones. And he cut himself and, uh, you know, yelled out all night, all day until Jesus showed up and they recognized we're no longer the most powerful force in the region. Here comes the word made flesh. We must beg him to not torment us. We have to beg us. Let me uh, beg him. Let me, let me give you something for you right now. When you understand that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, the hope of glory, that you're filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Here's a question. How could you ever be afraid? How could you ever be nervous about a demon spirit? How could you ever be afraid of the devil? When you see here, there's a whole army of demons in, inside this man. And when Jesus shows up, they all, the whole army has to beg Jesus not to torment them. If you are now in Christ's body, if you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, far above all rulers and dominions and every name that's named, if you have the same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead dwelling in you, explain to me why I should feel any trepidation, any fear, any nervousness about any demon, any devil, any witchcraft, any curse, it's, it's laughable. Do you understand? It's laughable. I laugh. People say, oh, you better watch out. There's, there's, you know, there's a whole group of witches that want to curse you. I laugh in their faces. I challenge them to do what they think they can do. It will be burnt up by fire because you cannot stop the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm seated far. How could your curse even reach me? I'm seated far above every name, every dominion, every ruler in heavenly places with Christ. I am filled with resurrection power. There is, get this, so are you. There is no power in the universe more powerful than what lives on the inside of your body. The same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead. There is no more power, more powerful than what's in your body. This is why it's so important to understand the things I'm teaching you today about this controversy. You start to realize Christ came as God in the flesh. And we'll go there, Philippians chapter 2. There's no demon spirit. I'm not nervous. I'm not hoping that I don't get harassed by demons. I'm not hoping that I don't get harassed by witches and warlocks and witchcraft and curses. Please, I, that's laughable. 
That's laughable to me. Laughable to me. That's, that's correct, Aaron. That's called the duality of Christ, the dual nature of Christ. He was all God and all man at the same time. People don't understand how that's possible. He was all God and all man at the same time. He was hungry. He, he had to sleep. He had full human qualities, but he was also fully God at the same time. Um, I'm trying to remember the name. Tiff, you could probably Google this. A great book for every one of you to read on this subject is called The Incomparable Christ. I think it's J. Oswald Sanders or J. Oswald Chambers. I know it's one of the two. Is it J. Oswald Sanders or Chambers? The Incomparable Christ teaches you all about both natures of Christ, the deity of Christ. <clears throat> Tiff's, it's Chambers, Mary Beth said. Chambers. So the Incomparable Christ. Is it J. Oswald? Did I get that right at least? Did you find it? Oh, I think if, if, if my memory serves correctly, it's... Maybe it's just Oswald, but I thought it was J. Oswald Chambers, but maybe I'm wrong. It is. Look at my, look at the memory. Look at, that's a book I had 20 years ago in Bible school. J. Oswald Chambers, The Incomparable Christ. Phenomenal book. You need to get it. If you don't have it, I'm sure you can get it on Kindle. You can get the paperback if not. It is worth every penny you'll spend on it to understand the nature of Christ, the dual nature of Christ. He was all God. He was all man at the same time. Phenomenal book. Let's go to uh, Philippians chapter two. And I'll close with this. Philippians chapter two. Um, let's start reading with verse number five. Philippians two and verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Look at that. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let me break this down for you here. Very interesting. The Bible says that Jesus emptied himself. He was in the form of God, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. So it's not that he emptied himself and was no longer God in the flesh. It's that certain qualities that he had as God, he gave up to become a man in the flesh. He was no longer omnipresent. He was no longer uh, omniscient right? There was times in the Bible where he was questioned about something. And what did he answer? Especially about his return. What, what, when, when will these things be? It is only for my father to know these things. 
So there were things that Jesus did not know after he emptied himself to come in the form of a man. He had to, now here's why he had to go through life being tempted in all points as we are. What was he proving? It could be done. Fulfilling the law of Moses, being tempted in all points. If he couldn't fall to temptation, it wasn't a temptation, but he was tempted in all points as we, but never sinned. See? And so there were certain things he emptied himself of all knowledge, you know, omnipresent, all those things. Um, but emptied himself, even watch this, even omnipotence, because notice he had to do it in the same way we would do it. So, so, so watch, he couldn't produce miracles until he was filled with the Holy ghost after his baptism. So took on the form of a man in the same way we need to be baptized in the Holy ghost. Same thing. He's showing us by example. So he emptied himself, but that doesn't mean that he was not God in the flesh. He claimed it. The apostles claimed it. They all knew Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Amen. They understood it. They believed it. They preached it. They preached it. Let me give you one last one before we pray. One last one. Uh, Matthew 16. This is powerful, man. This will get in your spirit and have you rolling all day. Matthew chapter 16, this is his interaction with Peter. Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea uh, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And, and they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That word Christ means the anointed one, the anointed one. You are the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the anointed one. You are him, son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. That was, according to Jesus, this knowledge that he was God in the flesh, the anointed one, that is something that does not come from human wisdom, but comes from a revelation from God in heaven. Christ, and this is important to understand, we believe it. We believe it, that Christ is God. Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean we don't believe in the Trinity. We do believe in the Trinity. But we believe that Jesus is God. He was God on the earth. He was God before he came in a flesh body. As we read in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That's Jesus. And this is, this is something that people try to do. And I believe that it's an attack against redemption. It's an attack against what Jesus did to claim that God really did not send himself to the earth. No, that's, that's not really what happened. He didn't send his word. He was just a man that was born, a good man, a prophet, a rabbi, but not, not God. That's heresy. That is heresy. And it's an attack against your redemption. It's an attack against your salvation. It's an attack against the power of God being manifest in the earth. And that's why we reject, I reject that. Any, any preacher, let alone Christian, I wish I could have been there with those, with those preachers 
that try to uh, act like, you know, that that's not, that's not true. I, I would have loved to have been there to just give them a slap in the face with this. That's heresy to claim that Jesus Christ is not God and was not God in the flesh. Heresy. You might as well just do away with redemption. What was the point of him suffering then if he was just another man? Right? What was the point of his crucifixion if he was just another man? How could he take the sins of the world upon himself if he was just another man? That's not who he was. He was God in the flesh. Hallelujah. He was God in the flesh. Glory to God. And now you're in him and he's in you. And the same spirit that raised him up from the dead lives in you and is right now quickening your mortal body. Woo! Glory to God. Quickening your mortal body. Yes, that's right, Katerina. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. So let me pray for you today because that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, now that you're in the body of Christ, you're part of Christ, the power of God dwells in you. I have not, Rodney. I have not seen that. I want to pray for you though, because that same power that raised Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11, lives in your body. And now you are part of the body of Christ. That means no matter what the devil throws at you to try to attack your life, you are far above it. You have victory over it. You have power over it. You, the same way that those demons had to beg Jesus not to torment them, that same power that made them run to him and bow down low and beg is the exact same power that is in you now. Demons fear you. The devil fears you. You have no business fearing him. You have no business fearing demons. They bow down low before you and beg you not to torment them because the same power that was in Christ is the same power that's in you. And so Lord, I pray right now for every person watching and listening and whatever the devil has tried to send to uh, attack them, to distract them, I rebuke it in Jesus name. I thank you, Lord, that the greater one lives on the inside of us and he's greater than every attack, sickness, disease, depression, anxiety, everything. And so today we rebuke every attack of the enemy and command it to run from us by the power of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, for your anointing. We thank you for your spirit that dwells within us. And today I ask you to reach out your mighty hand and touch your people and whatever was tormenting them before today, it comes to an end in Jesus mighty name. We thank you and we give you praise. Amen. You know why we, we teach these things? It's because there's tons that you say, well, if there's, if that's dwelling in every Christian, then how come so many Christians are struggling? It's because you have to have faith and the faith that you have comes from the knowledge and revelation you have. You can't have faith for something you have no knowledge of. You shall know the truth and the truth, you know, will set you free. You've got to know the truth. That's why you can't be saved before hearing the gospel. You have to know the gospel before you can believe the gospel and you have to believe the gospel before you can act on the gospel. You can't be filled with the Holy Ghost without hearing the message of the Holy Ghost, which comes upon you by faith, right? You can't be healed without understanding healing and understanding what the word of God says on healing or coming into contact with somebody that already has that revelation who lays their hands upon you and sees healing. You have to know the truth. 
The reason I don't like that form of healing is because what I've seen is many people lose what God gives them. If everything you're receiving depends on my faith, if you come stand in front of me and say, would you pray for me and ask God to heal me? I've got faith for healing. But if you don't have any revelation or knowledge on healing, if you don't study it, if you don't know it, then when the devil comes back to try to harass you again, you'll lose what God gave you. You've got to keep what God gives you by founding it in the knowledge of the word of God. What does the Bible say is mine? And if it says it's mine, I'm taking it from me in Jesus' mighty name. Taking it from me in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. The power of Christ is living in you today. No, Lucy, you can't get saved. She said, should someone get saved again if they got saved before knowing the word? No, you got saved only because you came to the knowledge of the truth. Every Christian has to grow in their knowledge of the word, but you couldn't even be saved without hearing the gospel and having yourself brought to a decision. So you had enough word to get saved. Oh, praise God. Look at that. Leslie said, Jenna got more rooms for the block at the hotel. Just got ours. She's amazing. So that means more of you that are coming to the banquet can get the room rate at the hotel if you call, which is wonderful. I want to challenge you to sow a seed today. Partner with this ministry. Stand with us. There's nothing greater in these last times, no greater investment you can make in the kingdom of God than to connect your finances with those that are doing what we're called to do. So you become a part of this evangelistic ministry by sowing, by partnering. And when I say partnering, I mean praying for us every month and sowing seeds financially every month to see God do what he's called this ministry to do through us. Me and Carolyn and the team, you stand with us. That's what partnership's all about. We stand with you, you're standing with us. And for those of you that are partnering in this month of August, I have this book for you from uh, Pastor Mark Hankins, uh, The Bloodline of a Champion, Understanding the Power of the Blood of Jesus Christ. Again, why would his blood be powerful if he was not God in the flesh? If it was not sinless blood? That's the whole point. And this book will help you. 350 pages of straight fire revelation from Pastor Mark Hankins. We'll put it in your hand. And if you want to receive that, go today to miracleword.com forward slash offer. You have to fill out the form in order to receive the book because that shows us who we're supposed to send it to by the end of the month. And then of course, for those of you that are sowing $1,000 or more in the month of August, I'm also including with it this Bible that we looked at the notes from today, this net study Bible, 60,000 translators notes. This will be a massive resource in your study life. It's one, it's probably my favorite right now. I keep it open in my, my olive tree Bible reader. Those of you that are in Bible study made simple, know what I'm talking about. I've had it on the screen grabs, uh, that you've been looking at in the videos. You've seen it. It's what we've been looking at through notes and stuff. So it's an awesome resource. It's our way of saying thank you to those that are sowing largely in the month of August. Again, if you want to receive those things, miracleword.com forward slash offer, fill it out and let us know. If you just uh, joined late, let me say one more time, there's only 10 seats left for the banquet, probably less now since the broadcast has been going, but we only had 10 seats left. So if you're a partner, if you got your invitation by email and in the mail, and you haven't RSVP'd yet, now's the time to RSVP because space is running out. Jenna was able to get just a few more hotels on the uh, room rate that we have at the Renaissance in Allentown. If you want to get that, please contact her, Jenna at MiracleWord.com, and you can book it at the hotel 
Um, if you just call and tell them the room rate that we uh, specified in the email, you have the information. We want to see you there. The Victory Tribe Homecoming Weekend, October 28th and 29th, Friday and Saturday. It's going to be amazing. Have a lot to share with you. Can't wait to get and hang with you. It's going to be great. Uh, Carolyn's back today, 2 o'clock p.m. You do not want to miss it. She's got a word for you, and uh, it's going to be awesome. She'll be back again with you on Friday. I'm back with you all this week, 10.30 a.m. I love you so much. Thanks for hanging with me again today. Thanks for sewing, partnering, and I'll see you again very soon. Love you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.